Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. I'm an entrepreneur, author, pop culture commentator, uh, perennial lurker, and a person like every podcaster who just wants attention, hence my Todrick Hall nod. I somehow all these things led to me uh, starting a podcast that, yes, is about pop culture, but a large part of my goal is to fill the white space that I, at the time two years ago, and still at times find in terms of the disproportionate amount people talk about celebrities I don't really care about versus the conversation surrounding the people that I that are more entrenched in my day to day life that do influence me more than any mainstream celebrity and that seem to get themselves into trouble constantly, which are, of course, influencers. Uh, I, I'm an eagle opportunist. I love bloggers. I love just Instagrammers. I love TikTokers. I love YouTubers. My reservoir of knowledge stems a lot less from my desire to criticize and much more from being a long-term fan of so many people. And, you know, I find myself in a weird position sometimes. And I'll, you'll probably notice throughout this podcast, I'll like, as in the entirety of this podcast over the past two years, in some eras, I'll really go in on influencers and others I'll completely back off. And it's largely due to me having one foot in and one foot out. And I feel simultaneous aggression and empathy for influencers because I've seen both sides. I try to use that to speak about it in a way that's fair to both sides. But inevitably, when I start to get a lot of hate, I don't want to be a source of that for other people because I'm human and it's torture when, you know, people are coming at you and piling on. But what I started seeing with this, um, with you know, amidst the coronavirus is like a lot of people royally fucked up. And their mistakes are being projected onto influencers as a whole when plenty are doing a good job. But it doesn't mean I still don't want to talk about the you know controversy that's gone on because, A, I think it's just interesting and entertaining. B, I can't stand idly by while people pretend loop giveaways or some altruistic attempt to you know help me out during a trying time when it's a greedy grab for followers and nothing less. Personally struggling with this right now because so many influencers like I love uh, are doing these and like maybe they signed up for them in advance maybe there's something I'm totally missing about like it's not they're not illegal uh but like I just I just feel like it's in poor form right now and it frustrates me but that said I'm not canceling like people that do them I mean it's I, I, people are allowed to have a combination of uh behaviors I do and don't like without me having to black or white hate or love them and I would encourage all of us to embrace the gray as much as we can because we're not perfect either but um, yeah, I'm just like very annoyed by loop giveaways right now. More on that later. And uh, C, I do think there's a productive conversation to be had here when there's just so much um, chaotic frustration and finger pointing going on that isn't wrong, but I think we don't know where to channel it. And I'm super curious if there's some sort of takeaway from this situation that can help us move forward uh, with influencers having a little bit more clarity on their responsibility and boundaries and with consumers being a little bit more fair in how we receive their messaging. Uh, given that I think inevitably people that are at a point where they have 
fame comparable to a celebrity, no credit for being a celebrity, and also lack the polish and team surrounding them that serve as a buffer to allow them to handle celebrity properly. It doesn't excuse their mistakes, but what I think happens is you screw up and then your apology is worse than the mistake sometimes. And then it just like, it snowballs. And we're like, what are these people doing? And worse, why is nobody unfollowing them? These are the things that keep me up at night. And like, uh, <laughs> LOL at me talking about this so seriously. I should really get off mic and like go volunteer. Like This doesn't really matter. Uh, I think there's, you know, a balance to be struck of like light, fun commentary and also, you know, give credit to like the fact that we were isolated and a lot of people are alone. We can't see our friends. It's getting really old to Zoom influencers are like perhaps the people I'm seeing the most <laughs> right now for better or for worse and you know it's their activity like impacts you and especially for people you've known and loved for a long time it's not always that straightforward to unfollow and I completely understand that as well I know I have like I don't really I'm not good at unfollowing because I'm a little lazy and I sometimes I neglect to see it as like me casting my vote for who I want to support and have my you know, eyeball as a data point that serves as currency for how they can price their inventory on Instagram. I'm not always that noble. Sometimes I'm just like pretty much petty and want to see how it ends. But that's beside the point. I'm excited because today we have Stephanie McNeil on the podcast. She is a reporter at BuzzFeed that talks about influencer culture and social media in a way that I think is objective and critical, but fair and that I don't see a ton of in digital media that either loves to just like drag people or, you know, almost blindly defend them or like the more traditional publications that just completely dismiss influencers overall. I love the type of stuff she covers. And if you want to do some like pre-reading, Google Stephanie McNeil BuzzFeed, go to the page that has all of uh, anything tied to her as an author and just like read the most recent articles. It's I guarantee you it's stuff you find interesting. And it'll serve as context for some of these conversations, because like we talk about Ariel, for example, but I'm not going to go, you know, through the timeline of her COVID-19 journey. I assume if you're here, you're vaguely aware of it. But if not, just a heads up. And in this episode, we talk about a ton of stuff like an influencer's role in a crisis, you know, being responsible with your platform, how she got into talking about influencers. Uh, we talk about Ariel and Taza and that, you know, that controversy and their response to it. Um, we talk about, you know, the one is SpawnCon appropriate right now, loop giveaways. We talk about Rachel Hollis and Caroline Calloway, the, the real star of it all, tie-dye sweatsuits. I mean, we kind of cover a lot of things related to the what's gone on with influencers during the quarantine. But also, I think since we're both just like influencer fans, we can't help ourselves to talk about like, you know, the Mormon Kardashians, for example. So it was a really fun conversation. And it was so interesting talking to a journalist because there's a certain permission there to criticize that is hard for other people to have. I want to let everybody live their life and not nitpick. And like, there's no, nothing more frustrating than feeling like you can't win. But like, I'm talking when you have over a million followers, when you have millions of dollars and it built an empire profiting off of the people that follow you, it's just a different story. And you're so naive to think that you don't have an impact on people, right? Because when it comes to an issue like public health, there, there isn't a lot of margin for error in terms of how you're motivating somebody to comply or not comply with, uh, uh, you know, a narrow and unprecedented, unprecedented set of guidelines that people are already rejecting. But if they see someone they respect rejecting them as well, it's, it's over. It's gone. They're, you're serving as a proxy for what are now their modified boundaries because 
you're more entrenched in their day-to-day life than probably like CNN is. I don't want this to come across as like me, the series, to be me on my high horse, but rather my kind of obsession with uh, research and dialogue that enables you to simplify a complicated issue that seems like a total lost cause and therefore people never seek improvement. When even though I think right now, so a lot of the frustration, negativity, tone deaf nature of what influencers are doing, it's part of the problem is what's being shared. Part of the problem is the inevitability of all of us comparing our own situations to what they claim to be as, you know, a struggle or a hardship or, you know, even just showing that their regular life is nicer than our nicest vacation. In these times specifically, these differences are stark and it's, you know, it's there's a balance to be struck of checking ourselves and of influencers checking uh, what's sharing, what's showing off and what's actually being helpful, you know, keeping in mind the broad spectrum of difficulty people are experiencing right now and how you probably can't even conceptualize how this economic downturn is going to affect most of your followers And it's not that you have to do it perfectly. It's just that, like, some people seem to be ignoring the line entirely. And you don't want to omit your struggle because then it appears you don't have any. But you also want to express it in a way that caveats your privilege, caveats it could be worse, but acknowledges its its existence that you're affected too, right? But then I, as a consumer, I'm also recognizing how much of the way I'm perceiving this messaging is so irrational and is based on my own Uh, shortcomings or my own struggle that's like super specific to my situation isn't like they're harming the world it's just like I'm triggered by swimming pools right now because I'm stuck like in in a city high rise and I wish I had the foresight to head down to my parents house before this all started and like I don't even like pools I hate when people ask me to go to the pool because I don't like being effectively nude in front of a stranger and then having to tiptoe around the awkward conversation of why I'm not getting in the water when I just don't want to get my hair wet but then that seems like I'm not a fun gal that plus me feeling like Every time I'm out in the sun and I'm crisping, I just am reminded of the shame I feel toward the many hours, you know, clocked in tanning beds in the early aughts when I thought it was on brand of a lower left hip Playboy bunny sticker tan line. And I don't know. It's just dark all around, unlike my ability to tan. And uh, what was I talking about? <laughs> I've, been to, I've been trying to not do the tangents. I can't possibly understand. Like, a healthcare worker would do anything to, you know, not have to put themselves on and their health on the line to fight for all of us assholes complaining about how we wish we could know, like go to a music festival. Hell, go to a home goods. What I what I wouldn't kill to peruse those tea towel aisles right now. What once gave me once I felt such disdain toward if I saw a a I don't want to taco about it, taco potholder right now, I'd be like <laughs> Cynthia Rally, I don't know why you're making potholders, but your graphic design team sure is a hoot. I, I get a kick out of it. I just, I, I, I won't be critical so long as I can enjoy the experience anymore. And I think we all just feel like we're missing out on these small things that we want to complain about because we're all struggling in our own way. But once you start to compare it to other people's, it's an impossible uh, game of which is worse. That isn't productive, but also we have to keep in mind before we open our mouths. So yeah, anyway... This podcast is two parts. One is the objective professional discussion today. And then two is going to be based off the survey that I administered within a 12 hour period, kind of last minute. It doesn't, you know, meet market research best practices, but the way I see it, it's kind of good, better, best. Good is me not getting your input at all. Better is me at least trying to, you know, gauge it through 
a, what I could do for a survey in a short period of time. And, you know, best would be me actually using survey design to do something properly, but this isn't like an industry white paper. So whatever. I have a background in market research. I was a Six Sigma black belt. That's not a flex, but rather an explanation for like, I'm not a creep who's like collecting data about influencers. I actually am kind of wired and trained to believe that there is no truth in the absence of data collection. You guys probably, you probably notice I crowdsource a ton. It's not because I don't have my own ideas. It's because I actually think that you do a huge disservice anytime you double down on your own opinion from your own perspective and don't factor in other people's experiences to at least show diversity and range, even if it can't be all encompassing. Uh, so I just feel like a more well-rounded, responsible podcaster if I'm doing things that actually reflect my listener base and not just my own life. Part of that, too, is like I what I'm asking of influencers, I need to do myself. And I'm far from perfect. And I have had no idea how and what to share during this. So like, uh, and that's kind of why I'm trying to like, help me help you. I'm not trying to, I, I will crusade against people that really messed up. But I think there's just a lot of people that like, are, aren't sure. Like, you know, if a bunch of people ask me for a swipe up link, I'll, I'll do it. So I'm doing swipe ups. Like, I have to promote my podcast. I have to make a living. And I think we all acknowledge we shouldn't deny anybody's livelihood. But we're trying to figure out the best way to maybe improve upon a situation going forward because we had no idea what we were going into. And I created a survey that was kind of like over, I think like 1300 of you responded. You're like the best to kind of both get the straightforward, raw information about how you feel paired with um, the nuance of the short and long answers you gave me to kind of uh, provide context into what the consensus seems to be across some of the questions. And the reason I did that is because I actually, I'm just curious if there is consensus and if that can be helpful to any of us in terms of understanding each other a little bit better. I think that there's a lot of contradictions in how we want influencers to be two ways. We want them to be real, but if they're real doesn't align with our arbitrary standards, we're like, I'm out. But that's that's so impossible for them to gauge on an individual basis. So I'm trying to see, if, is there a through line? Are there common themes? Are there boundaries that can even be somewhat drawn to help this total gray area we found ourselves in? We need to, we do need to adjust, but I just don't know how much. This survey kind of asks you, do you want influencers being honest about how COVID-19 affects them? If being honest means that their reality is not as severe as yours or their followers, do you then think that that honesty becomes tone deaf? If you're like, well, I want them to be honest, but it like depends how honest, then I ask people to fill out a short answer of, well, explain to me how you, you know, what you deem to be in or out of touch, because I'm just interested. And if people define this similarly at all, or if it is just a total free for all, uh, beyond that, I asked, you know, how you feel about SpawnCon right now and loop giveaways. And, you know, if somebody did something you didn't like, did you unfollow them? And if not, why? Are you here for the drama? Like, do we want people to entertain us or do we want people to be responsible with their platform? You know, like, do we like what are we looking for? And um, is that information in any way valuable to any of us? I don't know. TBD. Episode two. Uh, but more importantly, I want to end on a positive note and feature the many, many people who are doing a great job because what gets lost in this discussion is are the people that have stepped up and the people that are just being like real humans. And I think that's what we need right now is less strategy and more just like, I think we all feel this and we feel differently day to day. And I don't think we need utter perfection, but I think that we're all a little like grossed out by rampant consumerism anyway. And I'll also kind of explain too in that episode, like I, it is weird 
for me to talk about influencers like I'm not one when I kind of am one, but I don't actually fully consider myself one. And it has to do with dis monetary distinctions and my how what somebody's motivation would be in terms of uh, how they talk about Instagram. And I'll just straight up tell you exactly how much I made off Instagram last year to give you a frame of reference because I don't care. I'm kind of I'm kind of to the point where I just don't I am over the smoke and mirrors and I'd rather just like tell you. So yeah, stay tuned for part two when I finish it. Um, it's not going to have an advertiser, so it doesn't have any specific timeline. It might go up tomorrow and it might be Saturday. I don't know. Uh, okay, so this episode, I hope you like it. Uh, I have one sponsor this week that I'm so, so grateful for that I will thank. And then we won't have any ads for the rest of the episode. I also want to caveat that this is a phone conversation recorded on the internet. The audio is not where I want it to be, but there's not a lot I can do. Uh, the first quarter's a little choppy. I recommend headphones. It does get better. I hope you'll bear with me. We're doing the best we can. The best, best thing you could do to help me out is to share. If you like the podcast, obviously, share it on your story. Uh, that's the, I see those directly, and I get so excited, and it makes a huge difference. It's the only way podcasts grow. Um, so please share it on your story or tell a friend if you like it. I don't know that I just breathed for the past 20 minutes. I'm sorry for talking so fast, but I do. I try not to talk for that long. Uh, I said like a lot too, but if you're new here, my podcast is long form. It's typically an hour and a half to two hours, especially when we've got time to listen. I try to give you more so you can save it for later. Worst case, similar, similarly to what I'm trying to defend with influencers, Please keep in mind that like podcasts too are really hard to customize to everyone's super subjective opinions. And I do the best I can trying to be neutral, but, you know, can't always uh, can't win them all. So I appreciate your patience and understanding. And I swear I'm done now. I'm so excited about this week's sponsor. It's a new sponsor and one that I think is, well, a good idea always, but particularly relevant now with the delivery aspect of it, because we are loving subscriptions right now. Uh, it is a company called Book of the Month. It's a curated book subscription that offers five new and early release books to choose from each month. The editors carefully vet them from hundreds of books and members can choose up to three each month. And the best part is, at least for me, I don't really I won't branch out into new genres. I get very stuck in my own ways. But this is kind of a good way to be introduced to new genres and styles. And a lot of their members have said they wouldn't have even tried something new if it weren't for one of their featured books. And the best part is, as a you know, newish author myself, they support up and coming authors, especially debut writers, which is so, so important in a sea of uh, some heavy hitters that seem to absolutely dominate the charts and the public focal point. What an awesome way to get new writers out there. Um, and they also do a great job at highlighting new and diverse backgrounds. So Book of the Month is commitment free. You can skip any month you want as many times as you want. And your first month's book is just $9.99 with code be there in five. F-I-V-E, how the show is spelled. And you can redeem that at bookofthemonth.com. That's bookofthemonth.com. Use code be there in five for your first month's book at just $9.99. And let me reiterate how cool it is that you get early release because, for example, like I have in my possession, I'm very lucky. I have in my possession uh, Beach Read by Emily Henry. It's a friendly writing competition to set the scene for some quirky, cute, and inter-author love that is very, very in demand, but it doesn't come out till May 19th. So I get to read it before everyone else, and I feel like very cool and in the know. They have Valentine by Elizabeth Wetmore, The Library of Legends by Janie Chang, The Paris Hours by Alex George. I truly 
they did not tell me to say this. I think this is a fantastic Mother's Day gift idea. A lot of people have been asking me about my input and I'm like, I don't know, because it needs to be something like, you know, minimal contact delivery, still fun. I don't want something too shallow, like, you know, something you can connect over with a book. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm loving this, but I'll wrap it up. Again, you get your first month's book for nine ninety nine with code be there and five on bookofthemonth.com. Thanks so much. Do I have your attention? Do I have your attention? Do I have your attention? Do I have your Okay guys, I'm so excited to have Stephanie McNeil join us. She's a deputy breaking news director at BuzzFeed. She's a reporter and host. She has an awesome newsletter. She has been uh, writing amazing content about influencer and social media culture during the quarantine and in general, but she kind of got on my radar more recently. And um, I am so happy to have her here because she's kind of a the perfect expert to discuss all the complications and nuance that exists within how influencers are re- kind of uh, responding to this conflict. And um, I can't even possibly do justice to your merit. So Stephanie, if you don't mind also introducing yourself and telling us a little bit more about you and your career, that'd be awesome. I mean, that was incredibly flattering. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, so I work at BuzzFeed News. I've been there for about five and a half years now. Um, I run our social news team, which has really evolved over the past four or five years into what it is now, which is commentary on influencer culture and internet culture. We cover TikTok, YouTube, Instagram. We also cover kind of your more simple internet culture stuff like viral memes. Uh, You know, we started off doing a lot of the kind of like very simple internet sensations, like the viral papa dad. And, you know, look at this cute dog who is going super viral on Facebook. I mean, when I started doing this beat, my main uh, source of content was Facebook, if you can believe that, which is pretty crazy because I barely use Facebook for content now. Um, but yeah, so I've been leading this team for about in this current form about three years. Um, and it's kind of evolved into keeping tabs on everyone in the influencer sphere, which is kind of my bread and butter. I, I love originally blogger culture. Now I love influencer culture. I've been a fan of bloggers for a really long time, over like 10 years or so. Um, and other members of my team have other specialties. Some of them are more into YouTube and TikTok um, and write really great pieces on that. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. <laughs> I love that because a big tenant of this podcast is I've always kind of tried to argue that the sure when you think of pop culture, we care about, you know, Jennifer Aniston and the like, you know, the the major celebrities, but bloggers are arguably more intertwined in our day to day life and kind of this modern form of celebrity that nobody takes seriously. So they would never let like no one ever lets them be called that. But it doesn't mean they're not worthy of like reporting on and talking about and I've always wanted to kind of cover that white space of like, okay, E! News isn't going to tell you about, you know, Jalen Schroeder newly taking on the conspiracy theories, but it doesn't mean I'm not interested. Oh and um, so, or like, you know, something random like that. But uh, yeah, so I love that you are filling that white space at BuzzFeed. And these are things people want to talk about uh, because, you know, when your entire life in product is getting us invested in your life and then 
you screw up, do you expect us not to care? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, and <laughs> I almost, I think, I honestly think that it was like half a happy accident that no one paid attention to them for so long and half by design because I think social media is so intimate that when you follow a blogger or an influencer, they're mixed in with your family and your friends and you just see them in your feed every day that you start to feel like they are someone you know. And a lot of bloggers, I don't want to say I have exploited that, but they have used that to their advantage when it comes to being treated as a public figure. Because what you see a lot is these bloggers will have huge ad campaigns and you know, stuff with Target, like products of Target and all the different stuff. But then when they do something bad, they say, oh, I'm not a public figure. I'm just a mom. And they're, and I think that for some reason really turned people off from covering them for a long time because a lot of, I don't know, if it's journalists or, you know, the media industry at large has kind of looked at them as, oh, that's just like, you know, a random w- woman posting her blogs and you know, posting her photos, and that's on a celebrity. But then you realize, well, you know, this is someone who all of my friends know who they are. I'm getting, you know, it's my friends cover them like they're Kardashians in our group text. You know, they're have they're making at you know hundreds and hundreds of thousand dollars a year sometimes on these ad deals, and they just they are a celebrity in every sense of the word, except we weren't treating them that way. And it's right. funny because I had been at BuzzFeed for three or four years. You know, I was covering social news. Um, I was really in deep with internet culture stuff. And kind of on the side, I was obsessed with bloggers. I was obsessed with influencers. And I spent all my time on, you know, blog stock on Reddit and watching Instagram <laughs> stories. And the first story I really wrote about an influencer um, was about Fox Meets Bear, which I don't know if you remember that whole scandal with the recipe book. Oh, um, they like suggested you eat some mild, like wild mushroom that like was toxic, right? Right. Yeah. So it's this blogger named, I think it pronounced her first name, Jana, And she had written this cookbook that was getting destroyed on Amazon because all of these people were coming out. It, it was a cookbook about foraging. It was super hipster, very beautifully photographed cookbook where she, her premise was, I live in the Minnesota woods. I am going to teach you how to go into your own backyard and pick all of these things and turn it into food for your family. Um, and so there was this huge discussion. I think it, it was in one of the forums. I don't remember which one. And I was like, oh, this is really juicy. Um, started looking into it and kind of dawned on me, like, why would I not cover this for BuzzFeed? This is gold. So I reached out to a couple experts, wrote about it, and just got this like huge response from our audience. Um, they actually ended up pulling the cookbook, which was crazy. And then after that, I was like, wait, I'm obsessed with this. A couple months later, I think was, I might be getting my timeline wrong, but I was on a plane going to a bachelorette party and my, the entire group started freaking out because Ariel Charnas, who I know we're going to talk about later, had just given birth to Esme and everyone was freaking out about, oh, did you see something? Maybe had her baby, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wait a second, why, why am I not covering this? Because clearly there's a huge audience for this. Um, so that was kind of the first 
way that I turned my obsession into my career and I've been getting away with it ever since and so far it's 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 really fun it's going well (laughs) no I think that's helpful to kind of like put a timeline around it because even I think of some of those I guess for lack of a better term like earlier scandals and like I think what sucked me in was the freckled fox oh my god I could do a whole podcast about that I know I did do a whole podcast about it um, because yeah, it's like, well, there's so many elements, not only with people questioning the validity of uh, someone's tragedy and then being wrong, uh, oh, but know. also uh, the so many missteps on her and her new husband's behalf. I mean, like him accidentally shooting her in the elbow. I mean, it's off. It's insane. There's so much there. And like, but that brings me back to your earlier point that I wanted to ask you about. And this is something I struggle with and I can't and I can't really combat because I'm not, a, you know, a journalist by trade is like that element of, well, they're, you know, they're a normal person. They're a friend. They're not a celebrity. They didn't sign up for the celebrity thing. They just did a variety of efforts that led them to this place. And they, you know, you can't bully them. And like, even when I've talked about influencers on my podcast, they'll reach out to me directly and like, yeah, I feel bad. I get it. I hate when people hate on me. Like it sucks. But you know, there is an element of accountability that needs to happen. And I'm always trying to toe the line between like snark and mean spirited and what isn't isn't on the table. Whereas for a normal celebrity, I'd assume it's all on the table because whether this is the right line of thought or not, like, yeah, they're famous. This won't affect them. They make a lot of money. They're good. Um, How do you kind of figure out how to toe that line? And do people reach out to you directly when you talk about them? You know, that's such an interesting question because I feel so strongly that if you put your life and your family's life up for sale in this way, I'm not saying that in a, with a negative connotation at all. Um, I totally respect that this is the way that, you know, some people make a career and live their life. And I think that's totally admirable. Then you can't not expect any criticism from journalists, especially. Um, I think that once you accept ad deals, all bets are off in terms of I'm a private person and I am not asking for this. Because I also think it's 2020. If you, uh, my reporter Tanya Chen did a really good piece for our newsletter a few months ago, where she wrote about um, the Shirley Temple King child. She's like a child influencer. I don't know if you remember him. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Like the grenadine sprite drink. Right. And his parents were, were kind of like, we don't know how this happened. But there is, we're in such a different world now, whereas I couldn't believe that someone went viral on accident in 2007. But when you look back to their post history, they were tagging the Today Show, GMA, all of the brands, you know, hashtagging, sending the pitch out to people from her his first post. So people don't go viral on accident and people don't build these huge platforms on accident. And if you're building it as a business, when push comes to shove, you have to take accountability for a said business. You can't have all of the perks of a business with none of the consequences of a business. Now, like, I think there's also a huge difference between checking up on people and seeing what they're, that they're influencing ethically, that they're marking all their sponsorships, that they are, you know, 
doing it right versus saying, you know, I'm never going to say like, oh, I just don't really like her hair or, you know, that girl looks stupid or blah, blah, blah. Obviously, like, you know, that's not something that I would ever want to do. Um, and I kind of got checked myself all the time on my Instagram and in my reporting to be like, okay, is this a fair, valid criticism? Um, and the celebrity comparison is a really good one too. You know, um, if Kim Kardashian is and has, you know, is selling something or doing something that's shady, she gets called out for it, and rightfully so. You know, at the end of the day, the public consumes her content, the public pays her bills, and if she does something that's worth calling, that warrants being called out um she should have to respond to that and i think i don't know you just you can't say you can't accept all of the benefits from being a public figure but then if you mess up say why are you bullying me i'm just a mom you know right and i'm a private person it's like well no and the other thing is there And like a lot of people, you know, I doubt that a lot of these women knew when they started a blog in 2006 that it was going to turn into a business where, you know, most of them are supporting their whole families. You know, multiple women have husbands who work for their blogs and are making, I would say, upwards of half a million dollars a year. Um, But if they had wanted to get out at any point, I know of many, many bloggers I used to follow who completely as they say in the snark community, GMI, <laughs> um, and completely, you know, stopped blogging because they realized it wasn't for them. And I think if you've continued, if you've actively chosen to make this your career, you have to accept the good with the bad and you have to do it ethically or you have to expect to be called out. I mean, that's just, I, I don't understand why people wouldn't expect that. Um, and I don't know. I try really hard to be as fair as I possibly can. Um, But I think there's a lot of ethical questions there that don't get asked. And I think we should be asking them, especially, you know, this isn't, these aren't mom and pop brands that are working with influencers. I think a lot of major, major companies have gotten away with a lot and should be held accountable for, you know, violating FTC rules and all this other stuff Mm -hmm. um I don't know you just I don't know I really I I would hope that in I actually wrote about this a few weeks ago I would hope that in 2020 no one who is an influencer and primarily makes their income from sharing content online would expect that if they mess up they should not have to apologize for it or worry about being called out for it um because that just seems supremely naive right it's like with anything in life there's your intentions and then how they're received and you can't tell someone how to feel about something you said or did yeah yeah and I think one of the things about this whole pandemic that's really interesting is there's this huge debate of of course everyone came out and was like influencers are going to be canceled this is the end of influencers, which I think is preposterous. I mean, it's not going to be the end of celebrities. So it's definitely not going to be the end of influencers. But I think that some influencers might struggle because what is really resonating with people right now is authenticity. And 
you really get into trouble as an influencer when you try to sneak one over on people, when you try to sneak in ads, you know, you try to get people to pay for your lifestyle without acknowledging it. Like that really Mm -hmm. isn't sitting well with people. And it wasn't before, but it particularly isn't now. Mm -hmm. I really, my favorite influencers are the ones who kind of, even the ones who are super rich, who kind of just acknowledge, hey, yeah, I'm super rich. I have an amazing house. Like, I'm so lucky, like, blah, 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 blah. Like, at least you're admitting it, you know? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I I completely agree with you at how insufferable is during this climate it is when people, I, I think people lose me when they act like I'm stupid. Like I, it's not transparent what they're doing. And that's like my whole issue with like loop giveaways is Mm -hmm. don't pretend this is an attempt to pay the bills of your followers because you want to do something altruistic. It's a greedy grab for more followers and you're capitalizing on a time where people need cash. And that's actually really fucked up when you think about it. And I think one of the main things that bothers me as well is we're getting to see a climate in the influencer industry where the a lot of people, and I'm not saying all of them, some people, you know, have built their followers for years and years and years and years. You know, Rachel Parcell comes to mind. She's someone who's been blogging for, I think, a decade. She's been building, she has 2 million followers that she's been building over the course of years. But there are many of these influencers who are popping up who you see and you're like, how does this person have 700,000 followers, a million followers? And it's because they do these quick follower grabs. And what's frustrating to me is there are other influencers who are really doing good work who are never going to reach that level of an audience because they're not engaging in these right. uh, in these schemes. And in the earlier years, getting followers was a lot easier than it is now. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, for me, as someone who legitimately thinks that this is, I, it's it's funny when people say, like, I do get comments sometimes, people saying, oh, you're a hater, whatever. And it's like, actually, I'm not a hater. I'm taking the industry seriously, which is what everyone professes to want. So if you want me to take the industry seriously, then you have to play by the rules and you have to accept that if you don't play by the rules, you're going to get called out. Other, or like we can just all not take the industry seriously, but I think that's doing a disservice to all of the people who are following it. Does that make sense? I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. That That's exactly how I feel and I've tried to position it um, because I think that to suggest that there is not mass influence on people is is naive and when people minimize their importance or influence it's not because they're actually looking at it seriously it's because for some reason people are just fundamentally annoyed by the job yeah i mean i i i think that i'm like honestly one of the influencer industry's biggest cheerleaders because it really pisses me off when people like to say you know and here's the big difference between Twitter and Instagram. When I post things on Insta or on Twitter, I get a lot of com- you know, just sh- sharing my work on Twitter. I get a lot of comments from mostly men being like, "Who cares? I hope they all fail." Blah blah blah. And I honestly think a big, huge reason for it is sexism because if men had essentially created a whole new industry on social media overnight over the course of a decade, 
by themselves. I mean, a lot of these women are self-made entrepreneurs. People get mad when I say that, but it's true. I mean, they've built these incredibly lucrative businesses. And I think because they're focused around things that are usually coded as feminine, like uh, home decor or beauty or style or um, healthy living bloggers, which is my favorite genre of all time, um, they get taken as less seriously and are treated less seriously, which does a disservice to the women who are creating good content, but also creates a disservice to the followers who are, if you don't take something seriously, people are going to be able to scam other people and it's going to fall through the cracks. And it's just, it's like crappy all around. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that, uh, I agree with a lot of them being self-made entrepreneurs. And even as a person who started a business and who has been building a following over the past several years, like it's straight up hard. Like if you're organically building a following and not doing the get rich quick schemes, it's, it's just not easy to amass and sustain a huge following to reinvent your content every day to always be writing. Like the blog looks like kind of the job looks easy on the surface. And I think the people that make it look effortless are working pretty hard. And I also think if anybody who's tried to start a blog realizes like, oh God, this is like so a lot of annoying minutia and work. And it's just kind of funny, but like no influencer's ever going to talk about or like a, a ton about how difficult it can be or all of the work that goes into it because people like won't have it. They don't want to hear them complain because their job doesn't seem as hard as somebody else's. So it's kind of a weird conundrum, but I'm totally with you on the importance of uh, taking it seriously and how men love to trivialize women's interests. And just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it doesn't have the right to exist. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I mean, I don't know. I, you, No one ever says to like, I, I don't know if this is a good example. So hopefully I don't get any hate for this, but no one says to like Joe Rogan, who has like a male influencing network, like, oh, your job is stupid, you know? I mean, at least I don't hear that. Um, no. Like the, the most, like, apt male influencer I can think of is, like, I don't know, someone like him? No, I, t- <laughs> I, I talk about him all the time because I get a, my, I have a, my podcast is long form. They're, like, 90 minutes to two hours I by design, but I'm always accused of being, like, rambly and long-winded. It needs to be shorter, and there's just this constant argument for brevity. But I'm not, that's not what I'm going for. But you never, ever yeah. hear somebody call Joe Rogan rambly uh, or too long winded. He podcasts for three hours a week. <laughs> I've, never, um, I've never listened to him, but I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a double standard there of how people perceive interest. And that's an issue in and of itself. But um, I think you, you wrote an interesting article maybe a couple of weeks ago, kind of talking about how you were wondering if this was going to be a tipping point in terms of how people view influencers and the consumer largely sees them as like relatable and they're your, your friend. And um, they're just like kind of happen to be there and show their life here and there. But you're kind of arguing that, you know, this as evidenced by people like Ariel and and Taza and Spiralize, these people that got themselves caught in major, major um, controversy that they're a legitimate public figures with businesses and B, they have a responsibility to their audience. Um, And I think that maybe just now people are realizing that more than they did before. So how do you kind of feel like the pandemic 
has shifted the way people um, are reacting toward influencers? I it, it really seems to me like a lot of the big influencers didn't expect people to comment on their personal choices, which I find extremely bizarre um, because I think that for someone like Ariel, for example, not to expect that people would get angry with her for making the missteps she did when she is a public figure who needs to have that responsibility. I, I think that hopefully influencers are realizing how much influence they have um and if they behave like a bad one they will get burned for it um in terms of what the public thinks i would like the public to view influencers as small businesses in that sense because i think it will and it will legitimize the industry to the extent that it will weed out some of these more shady actors. And at the end of the day, will be better for the industry at large. I think if people see, but like the problem is that's not really happening as far as I can see. We're not getting a lot of, uh, it just seems to be that people are piling on influencers at this point. So I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing, but I guess people are doing the same thing to celebrities. Mm-hmm. So I don't really, I don't really know. I was, I was hoping when I wrote that, that people would, it was kind of both for the influencer and the consumer because it still blows my mind that someone, and I'm not saying you actually said this, but I have seen in the past bloggers say, or like Paza say, I'm doing what's best for me and you have to respect that. And I'm not taking comments on it. And then followers of her being like, she's just a mom. Why are you hating on her? And I think the what I was arguing against was both of those viewpoints. It's like, no, if you have influence, you have a responsibility to use it correctly. Um, but I feel like a lot of these influencers are being grouped together as just another reason why the industry sucks in a lot of the mm-hmm. um, commentary on it. And that's not what I wanted to see. I would rather people say, hey, we really need to think about the power these influencers have and hold them accountable and maybe tighten up some of the regulations around the industry. And we need to, you know, start looking at that in this way. So at the end of the day, they will get more legitimacy and they will be more respected, especially the ones who handle things well. Um, And I I interviewed Grace Atwood, who I know you had on your podcast as well. And... um, you know, I was, I'm hoping that, you know, people like her and voices like her who are using their influence and, you know, are, you know, going by the CDC rules and are doing good things, um, will continue to be, you know, like shown more as, you know, good parts of the industry rather than a lot of the big old school publications just kind of wrote like influencers suck, look at all these horrible influencers, blah, 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 which is, is just very, simplistic to me and uh, kind of annoying. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree. And I think it's, uh, I mean, there's so much there in terms of like, if you're in the business of sharing your personal life, when you make personal decisions that are also, they also are business decisions. So it's like, it, yeah. it, it, I can never figure out if I'm frustrated with Taza and Ariel 
for making the unethical choice or mad that they shared it. Yeah. I mean, there are people who like people are saying rumors who I won't name because it's all rumors that there are other big influencers who also left and are just doing a really good job at hiding it. Um, Oh, for sure. Honestly, I, I feel like it wasn't even the, I think I think that you know I think that Ariel and Naomi Plaza did make mistakes. Obviously, they went against what we were here in New York told not to do, and I think they definitely should be held accountable for it. I think both of them are similar in that their handling of it was rather bungled. And today we saw their continued posting is also being rather bungled. Um, I think they. But I think if they had a better mindset about their responsibility in the first place, they probably could have avoided that problem. So I hope this is a lesson for them. But mm-hmm. I do think that Ariel especially has been maybe overly criticized because in many people's minds, and I kind of wrote about this in the article I did about her whole saga, in a lot of people's minds, she became kind of a symbol of what was really hot news in New York at the time, which is all of these very affluent residents were fleeing when we weren't supposed to and going to the Hamptons and other smaller communities where resources would be stretched. Um, And I think a lot of people were really angry and she was a conduit for a lot of that anger. So Mm -hmm. while I think that she definitely deserves to be held accountable, I think a the vitriol there's a little it's a little high I feel like there's some there's a lot of but it, I mean it's hard because it's everyone's just really scared and really upset and you know I think people just needed someone to hate in that moment and unfortunately you know she was the one who got it but I, I'm hoping that this is a learning lesson for her and I think had she had she viewed herself through the lens of being a public figure, I do not think she would have handled all of it the same way. Which is surprising because, you know, she's been blogging for so long and she has such a huge platform and, you know, a partnership with Nordstrom and yeah, I don't know. It's so surprising. I, I think her case, it's like the people that fled New York and went against, you know, municipal guidelines is one thing. It's encouraging the same behavior in a time when people are extremely frustrated by people actively, um, of you know, going against the rules. Like the, there's a, yeah. it was on social media, the messaging largely is like, stay at home. Like, but so many people are so angry that the people that aren't. So that's one thing. But then when the a person that actually has the virus, like I'm sitting at home, I canceled everything. Like I've lost money, just like a lot of other people, whatever. And if I'm a consumer, if I'm a follower sitting at home, trying to avoid people like her, so I don't spread it to other people, but the people with the actual virus are out and about taking walks, <laughs> not self-isolating, appearing to go against CDC guidelines. Like I I think it's absolutely insane. She didn't see this coming. And yeah, I think that I the heat she got is kind of, like I think it's unprecedented because the concept of a an a crisis being truly equalizing is unprecedented. Usually, a crisis is kind of geo-targeted or segmented in some way, but we all feel this, so we all piled on. When usually only a segment of the population that's affected piled on, 
And uh, I think that in some case, in like some way, she was a scapegoat to channel a lot of the frustration. Uh, But I also think I also don't want people to forget the complete neglect uh, she had for this not being the right thing to do and what that says about her. Because I think we need to pay attention to the people we follow and the choices they make. And I swear some of these people have nine lives. Yeah. She's just bad posting as usual and it'll just blow over, which is fine. I believe in like second chances and whatever, but like, this was a pretty big, uh, this is, this was a big mess up on her part. Yeah. I mean, if you look back at the post she was sharing, it, it's interesting. So you, you compare it to being a celebrity I think that's where he fell into, you know, messing up. I mean, obviously she should not have been doing it anyway, but you would assume if she had some sort of person, like PR person or someone telling her, you know, hey, that's not a good look. I mean, I just feel like there was no like, over. I don't know. Every step of the way. Like it should have, it should have been stopped when she filmed herself getting special treatment in her car, getting swabbed from a doctor she through her connections that she got on a test that at the time was hugely unavailable to people that needed it. Like that should have been a, she got so much heat for that, that I almost felt like she responded really touting her diagnosis to be like, told you so. And I think, and I felt bad because I was kind of like, geez, why is she showing this testing process? Um, But then, and then like every step she got a lot of uh, backlash and it just, she never kind of rerouted to take, you know, perhaps the safer uh, approach and how she talks about such a heated issue, A, but B, a situation with such um, equity felt also makes the inequities really obvious. And I think that people are really sensitive to a lack of acknowledgement as it relates to privilege and like her getting the test and all of that was, you know, an issue for people. And like, I just, I don't know. I I agree. I I always wonder why people don't intervene. And that's kind of part of my argument as to why it is a little bit difficult to be in their position because celebrities have this built-in army of people that buffer a lot of the downfalls of fame to make it easier, right? Mm -hmm. You know, with with PR people, management, et cetera. But these people are just like, it's their phone and they're talking and nobody's interfering. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I honestly, I don't know. I mean, it was just such a major misstep. I, I don't, and I, I think like what you said was really profound when you said, you know, people need to take inventory of who they're following. I think one of the bad parts of Instagram is it's really, really easy to betray yourself as someone you're not. And mm-hmm. I think in Ariel's sake, you know, she revealed some ugly sides of herself, like probably not on purpose. Um, but I mean, it's unfortunate, but it kind of is what it is. And I think, you know, she does have a certain level of privilege, obviously. And she made a lot of missteps because of, you know, that privilege and the way that the worldview or whatever. Um, and I think like a lot of people were really taken aback because I think it's one thing to follow someone because you like their clothes, 
I mean, in all fairness, I own two of her pieces of clothing. <laughs> I was influenced. In all fairness, that Nordstrom line was fierce. <laughs> I mean, people said it sucked, but I was like, I thought it was really cute. But I, I liked I it. <laughs> no, I liked it too. Um, and you know, she has. I mean, her kids are obviously adorable, and she has a very idyllic life. And I think it's easy to see someone one way and then see how they respond in a crisis and be like oh my god um you know i i didn't know this is how you would react to that which i guess on some mm-hmm. level is how we have been experiencing this with everyone in our lives you know there are people in my life who are reacting in ways i didn't know was gonna that is so happen. true and it's, yeah I, I think another reason for a lot of the vitriol is I think at a certain level with celebrities nowadays, because celebrities are basically morphing into influencers. Um, But with influencers, there's a certain level of betrayal because we are funding their lifestyles and because we feel like we have an intimate relationship with them where, you know, they're, they're a friend in our feed. They, you know, they aren't a celebrity. They're not untouchable. They're someone who's more relatable. And when they really, really mess up, um, it's really disappointing on a different level than, you know, Kim Kardashian messing up yeah. or um, a politician messing up. Um, it's it's a little more intimate than that. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, t- I totally agree. I think that's such an interesting conundrum when people get to the level like it's it, I, I kind of liken it to loving and uh, like an underground band like an indie band and then they go mainstream and they're like sellouts and their huge fans rebel because they got them there when bloggers get huge because of their followers but then they get so like they get wealthy and a little bit more out of touch because they're no longer in the situation that made them relatable and popular it's this weird catch-22 um that i think a lot of people experience and i think the people funding their lifestyle is a really great point of why this is different than a celebrity and interestingly, I so I did like a survey amongst my listeners because I'm just trying to like get the pulse. Like, I, I just have been feeling like in my uh, podcast, Facebook group, on Instagram, on Reddit, everywhere. It's just like people are so annoyed with influencers right now and like yeah. tearing apart their every decision. So I was just trying to collect some data to be like, is my impression of this right? And one question I asked is like, have you been um, unhappy with the behavior of someone you followed during COVID-19? And, you know, over 75% of people have been unhappy with in like an influencer, they follow his behavior. And then I said to those people, did you unfollow that person whose content you were unhappy with? And over 75% said, no, they did not unfollow or they followed some, but not all. Um, and then when asking, why didn't you, when, why didn't you uh, unfollow them? The most, the top answer at 40% is the drama is entertaining and I want to see what happens next. So then (laughs) my question becomes, what do we ask ourselves? There's, this goes two ways. The influencer, sure. Like we want them to act responsibly, but also at what point do, what are we looking for? Do we want an influencer who's stable and using their platform responsibly? Or do we want an entertainment? Do we want the drama? Do we, are we still here regardless of their ethical choices or not? You know, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I don't know about you, but in my personal influencer consumption, I have two very different types of people I follow. 
One is people I genuinely want to sit and watch them put on makeup or consume their content, buy their swipe ups. And then the other, which is just purely like, I don't want to say hate follow. And I'm talking now about me on my personal account, not, you know, my other account where I follow literally everyone. And I swear to God, I still find new people to follow every single day. (laughs) But in my like personal time, these bloggers that I followed for a long time, I mean, there are people who I've like, let's say like snark followed for years, because I'm just like, I'm being out of touch again, like they're so annoying. Or I mean, going back to the thing where like, a lot of these people have had like, scandal after scandal over years and years and years and years and years to the point where like I I can be talking to someone and be like well you know so and so did xyz and they'll be like what I'm like oh yeah back in 2014 you know they got rid of a dog and everyone was really mad or you know like something right I don't know what that says, I don't know what that says about me I guess that makes me a garbage person <laughs> but um I don't know there's some people who who I'm still very entertained by them, even if I'm like, oh, they're so annoying or they always mess up or I don't know. No, I agree. I do the same thing. And that's what I'm, I'm always trying to like figure out how to talk about it and position it in a way that's more fair to both parties involved, because I, I, I'm trying to combat the industry being trivialized while also being part of the problem. And I recognize that contradiction. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that inevitably, if you're famous for a long period of time and operating as a normal person who doesn't have PR people down your throat and you're not media trained, you're probably going to mess up a few times, some worse than others. And, you know, some of the past scandals are like pretty damn entertaining. Um, But then when somebody like nothing's ever going on or they don't really ever have an edgy opinion, I'm so bored, I'll unfollow. I'm more likely to unfollow you if I'm bored than if I'm offended, which is kind of hundred, a hundred percent. But I, that's why I kind of think that with, I would say, both Ariel and Naomi, I think that their response was worse than the decision. I mean, obviously, the decision was terrible, but I mean, I don't want to act, I don't want to say that they didn't do anything wrong. They 100% like should not have done that. But I think they maybe made it even worse by deleting comments, trying to like sweep it under the rug, which they both kind of did to some extent where I feel like they would have gone a long way if they had just come on stories or whatever and just really like mad call but I know they both apologized but like in a really truly authentic way had been like you guys I really messed up I know a lot of you have been following for a long time I know you guys pay my bills even how refreshing would that be to hear you know what I mean rather than right. like kind of pretending like there's a separation between her and state being like you guys actively keep us afloat and I really let you down and I'm sorry and I didn't see that really from either of them and I think that really might have softened the blow a little bit rather than you know they apologized and then you know Naomi has been very like dark they both are very dark kind of coming back very slowly that seems very inauthentic to people and I think I think some of the snark follows too, like, are a little more authentic, where they just kind of like mess up and it's like in your face. And it's like, I don't know, maybe that's why people, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but like, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's, I don't know. No, I agree. I think I never know how to explain it or justify it. And like, as 
a person who makes content, it's like, do you want the people that like hate you following you? Like, God, no, like, do me a favor. Like, I, I'd rather lose the follower than have people out there that like secretly hate me. And uh, like whenever, you know, people send you a DM, they mean for your friend, their friend about you and you get it and you're like, ah, oh, man. And, you know, it's just like it is kind of hard to stomach. But I yeah, I do it to other people and I'm and I'm a hypocrite in that sense. And uh, but I, I, I get it, what you're saying about the apology. It's almost like um, the the argument for doing the thing was like, sorry, I'm only human. But the apology was like as a business and trying to mitigate the risk yeah. and like tiptoe. But if they had just been like the, the human who apologized, like, yeah, like getting on and being like, guys, I am a moron. Like, I am like so stressed about this, like you guys are. And I'm just like, I'm not thinking straight. That was so insensitive. I so didn't acknowledge my privilege. And I am so sorry. Like, I would have felt that because like, you don't always need the perfect reason why you screwed up. And you don't always yeah. need to make excuses. Sometimes you just need to say you did it. Yeah. And I think that's like, I don't know, I think a lot of the or a lot of Instagrammers built their platform on a level of perfection that I'm wondering is kind of going out of vogue. Um, you know, you see like the teens, their aesthetic on Instagram is a lot more chaotic and just very like, this is me, not polished, blah, blah, blah. But I think from an influencer perspective, a lot of them curated their life so much to the extent that any criticism was a hater and any misstep to be swept into the rug. And I feel like that's kind of going out of style and influencers could, who, um, like my favorite influencers that I've been following, who I've been seeing getting talked a lot about, like, quote unquote, handling this right, are the ones who are posting ads, being transparent why they post ads, um, showing how they're struggling, and still posting the very, like, cute, you know, um, yeah, like the photos from pre quarantine and the photo shoots and all that kind of stuff, but also being like, hey, like, life sucks. I'm wearing this sweatshirt for three days, swipe up if you want it. Um, you know, that's like, those are the influencers that are really thriving right now. Um, yeah. And so I wonder if maybe the industry will trend in that direction a little bit. Um, I think that would be definitely good. I think one of the big things that a lot of the big influencers get wrong that I feel like they really need to stop doing is, I think the majority of the negative comments they get are not just from random haters being like, you suck. I hate you. It's from, because like most people who just like openly hate influencers in general, aren't going on influencers pages, commenting. A lot of the people who comment negative things are current slash former fans who are disappointed that someone that they really liked are disappointing them. And so you say like, you know, I, you see people being like, stop bullying me. I'm your hate. You're a hater, blah, blah, blah. But then if you actually look at the comments, you'll see people say, Hey, so-and-so I've been following you for 15 years or whatever. I'm really disappointed in this ad. Um, you know, there was a the very micro scandal a few months ago where, um, Emily from Cupcakes and Cashmere got really roasted on her page because she posted an ad for that P-Volve workout machine. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people were commenting, being like, Emily, this is super inauthentic. Um, I really hate that you're doing an ad for this because one of her shticks over the years has always been, I don't work out. Like, I am not a gym person. So, like, it's coming from a place of love, I think. 
And I think that's what people yeah. like a lot of bloggers only are like, oh, I get so much negative comments. Like, no, you're you're turning off your community and you're not, but like you're not losing followers. Cause I think a lot of people start following someone because they like them, see them do one thing after another after another, ignore it and sweep it under the rug, and then become a hate follower and are like, I used to like so and so and they suck now, but I'm not gonna unfollow them because I like being there with them or whatever which is a very like human instinct that I think we all can cop to um you know without any shame nobody likes the negativity it's like a shitty byproduct but I agree with you that oftentimes the people going in the hardest know the most about you and are the most engaged and there's a quickness to completely write it off delete it or question their intentions, but like a true, like random internet troll, they're not like commenting on the way I'm doing something. They're like trying to get me to like buy cryptocurrency. You know, <laughs> it's not yeah. like, like if people think they're trolls, but you're right. They're actually people you should probably listen to oftentimes doesn't mean that it's okay to be spoken to that way. But um, yeah, it's, it's kind of wild how I, I, I feel like the, the mass deleting of any comment that's negative. It's like, on the one hand, if if you're, you know, your mental health is at stake and then sure, like you have the right to do what you want on your page. But I think when you start to ignore the well-intentioned advice of people, it's a problem. And when you start to let the negative voices that are fewer than the positive ones be louder than the positive mm-hmm. ones. And so many influencers start to act in response to shit that people talk about them on online forums. They act in response to people that hate them and are always over explaining themselves. And I think it's kind of obvious to me when people start to do that. And it's kind of a turnoff because I'm like, there's so many people that love you. Like, I I think that's a really important thing to check. Um, But to an earlier point too. So I, with sponsored content right now, um, like I'm of the camp that like, why would, why would we like deny influencers their livelihood? Like Grace made a good point in your article. Like what we're not like, no one's screaming at the TV to stop advertising. And I was like, yeah, that's a great way to think about it. Um, And in my survey, I asked you like, how you feel about SponCon and uh, like 46% said it's okay. The other half and change said it, it depends. And in the verbatims of it depends, it's like, um, it's mostly about price point and, uh, like it just feels, um, kind of like fake <laughs> or like, it's, yeah. it's almost more obvious that it's fake. It's like, okay, Rachel Parcel, do you like, I don't think you use Nivea or like whenever people say they use Olay, I'm like, do you though? Like nobody uses Olay, but everyone claims they do. And I think maybe now we're more sensitive to that or something, but yeah, I actually think people are fine with sponsored content, but it's more so of it being like a luxury item or like relevant to the times we're in that is the bigger problem. Yeah, I think in terms of SpawnCon, I I think you're totally right. I think the two things that are really pissing people off right now is one, I mean, they're kind of things that have always pissed people off, but are pissing people off more because everyone is just stressed and, you know, emotions are heightened in every corner and facet of life. Um, I think no one should be doing spawn con for luxury brands right now. Like that is just completely out of touch. Um, you know, people I've actually bought in and appreciated a lot of spawn con for practical items, um, that, you know, maybe 
an influencer wouldn't have sh- shilled me before. I don't know. Bond mm-hmm. before. I don't know. Um, but yeah, luxury brands really need to school it. Um, but I think the biggest thing with BombCon is kind of the same thing that I've been talking about earlier, which is authenticity. Um, the Emily situation, like really kind of opened my eyes to like how not to do sponsored content because it's so transparent when you can tell someone would never actually use it. And I, I think a lot of influencers do a really good job selling things that they actually believe in and actually try. I think another thing that is really obvious is when someone has never even really used the product for a length of time. Um, (laughs) And kind of like anything, there's people that do this really, really well. There's people that do it really poorly where they literally will chill for anything and it's really annoying. Um, And then there's people who like are kind of in the middle. I think another trap that influencers fall into is they make their feeds only swipe up or only ads and I follow those people very unfollow those people very quickly because you have to like you can't just be all ads like you're not going to pick up a magazine that's you know two pages of articles and 75 pages of ads um and I think a lot of influencers are getting crap for spawn con right now as much as the swipe ups the affiliate link um that's a trend that I've seen a lot is people are just mm-hmm. affiliate linking like a hundred things a day and it's extremely <laughs> annoying. <The> Peloton. <laughs> oh my God, the Peloton. Um, so, and like, I don't know if you ever go on Reddit, but there's like this one, there's a forum blog snark and there's a girl on there right now, like counting how many swipe ups different bloggers are doing in a day and like making it a competition. <laughs> It's pretty funny. <laughs> that's actually brilliant. Um, um, that's funny. But I mean, like, I think affiliate links are another thing where people just fall into trouble. And I totally understand that, like, people are like freaking out about their income right now. And Amazon is doing a cooler thing where their affiliate links they're cutting off, and that's super crappy. And like Amazon whatever is a bad company you definitely like it's really transparent when you like walk around your house and just start affiliate linking like literally everything in your house like there's a big (laughs) difference between like affiliate links for like hey I have this kitchen gadget that I really like I mean that's really interesting information for me I'm going to click on the swipe up when it's like swipe up for my blender swipe up for my shoes swipe up like it's like that's where you kind of cross the line to me so it's like it's again it's kind of like same things I've been talking about the whole time where it's like moderation and authenticity, you know, right. the audience has to come first. You can't just completely sell out to the swipe up, even though I and know it's, it's like, right. And it's like being mind. It's like the, the worst to me is um, cu- like uh, curated authenticity where someone's about to sell a product. They started as like, I'm going to be I real know. with you guys. Like I've had so much trouble with my uh, adult acne, you know, like the Kendall Jenner proactive of it all. Like this insane lead up and you're like, oh my God, bless your heart. You were bullied. And then it's like, buy this product. That is something too, that right now, like in general, I can't stand, but right now it's extra bags. It's like, you're being authentic. Like you're being, it's like the curated vulnerability is ridiculous period. But right now it's particularly bad. And the, um, to your, I think the magazine metaphor you made is a really interesting one of like a balance of ad ads and content. 
And prior to the quarantine, the worst offender is like try on hauls. Mm -hmm. Those drive Mm -hmm. me absolutely insane. Or like dressing room hauls. I'm like, you're not even buying it. Like, show me (laughs) the literal receipt. Like, like, crack me up. I think they're hilarious. I love when they whisper. I, my dream, my dream is when this is all over, I will be browsing around Target and Orson Rack and I will hear someone talking to themselves in the dressing room. Oh my God, I would love to witness it. Like, I don't know how that became a trend. Um, the, the end sale. Is it the end sale? I, I hear the end sale. sale might be pushed back like two months or something. It might not even happen. I don't know. All these rumors are floating around about the end sale. The people last year, people really hated the end sale. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's. I would love to be a live studio audience for a try on haul. I've never overheard it in real life, but yeah, there there are hysterical ways to get money without actually having to buy a product, and it's super uh, bizarre. But um, the other thing you said earlier too that made me laugh this week. I I love the uh, Parcel Scalas. I think they're the Kardashians of the blogging world. And Meg posted posted a photo. She was like a lot of things in this picture, but like a very small sliver of a very low athletic sock was visible. And she said everybody had been asking her about her socks and like you can't even see her socks. And it's just stuff like that, that I'm like, why am I equal parts? Like, this is so dumb, but like, also I love you for this. It's like that weird combo of like, sometimes when there's a level of cringe that's earnest, it's like fine because I don't know if they always realize it's kind of silly. But then when somebody's trying to pull a fast one on you, it becomes like nauseating. I don't know. There's so many ways to look at it. I have such a soft spot in my heart for Meg. I really think that she's just like trying to follow in her sister's footsteps. And like sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, oh my God. I'm obsessed with the Parcel skull. <laughs> yeah. Like they're actually so- really sad. I like, I love Isla Rose. I think she's like the cutest girl I've ever seen in my life, which is like so creepy to say. I mean, blogger children is a whole other topic that like, oh yeah, I would love to get into, but I feel like we don't even have the time. But <laughs> I mean, like, if only I could be Rachel Parcell right now, like in oh, that I, house. Oh my God. It's like my, I don't, I've never been on a vacation as nice as her day to day. And her like view, like I don't, I don't think I would want to live in Utah. It seems like a little cold for me. I've heard it's like colder than where I live. I don't know, but like the view of the mountains, and I'm not even like a huge mountain person. I'm just like, oh my god! Like imagine waking up to that every day. And I like her dresses and stuff. Like I just like want to be her, except for I don't really want to be Mormon, but. <laughs> I know she's somebody who's like, she's her and like Julia from Gal Meets Glam. Like these are people Um, that build brands on aspiration. And even though relatability is a currency aspiration once was, there's some people that can't, they just can't deter from that. That is their brand. It's just like a higher end, more curated lifestyle. And I think when you stick to that and you don't apologize for it, sometimes it works. Um, cause it's like the I, fakeness of relatability will piss people off. But if you're just unrelatable, you're unrelatable. Yeah. I think, I think Rachel does a really good job. I follow her more closely than Julia. Um, but I think Rachel in particular does a really good job at like somehow seeming like 
not relatable, but she doesn't seem like she's like a bad person or like she seems yeah, like she's she like fun to hang out with. Yeah, very sweet. Um like obviously like she has a lot of money and like her lifestyle is very aspirational. Like everything in her life is beautiful. But I still like I'm not watching her stories like oh uh, like she's so rich. Look at her. You know, I'm just kind of like, oh like Rachel, she's nice, you know? Um right. and I don't know if that's something inherent in her personality that just kind of works which a hundred percent could be, it could just be that she has, is able to strike that balance between relatability. Cause I feel like sometimes even she'll come on and she'll be like, Hey guys. And she'll actually say things that are super informative about like beauty or skincare. Um, you know, the things that aren't just like swipe up for my $500 serum or something like that. Right. Um, right. And she also, yeah, I think she like is very wealthy and privileged, but like she's never had a scandal where she seemed completely out of touch. And like, I'm, I'm sure that's, you know, I don't know if it's by design, but it might just be that she's good at what she does. Um, and that's like, that's why, you know, I think when people do do things well, they should be lauded for it. You know, we can't have this influencer economy that's like a billion dollar a year industry and only call out the bad actors and only call out people when they mess up. We also have to like, give respect to people who are doing it well um for sure I don't know I I I think I don't want to devalue I think it just completely devalues it when you only ever call out the bad people in it yeah absolutely and part of the survey I was doing for this episode too I'd have people list off all the people they thought have like really stepped up that I'm gonna list off and the stuff that's worked because I agree I think like a lot of the old school publications oversimplifying the scandal to be the downfall of an industry that they just aren't giving the time of day and don't understand enough about is kind of a problem. And beyond that, the over-focus on the big scandals has made people doing it right go by the wayside. And the, it's, it's not easy right now to be doing this right. Like it's, it's impossible to act perfectly to a situation you didn't see coming. And I do think they need to be applauded more. No, you're, you're a hundred percent right. And that's what really bothers me too. When people comment on my post or they send me dms and they're like oh you're such a hater blah 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 and like you're tearing down other women and i'm like i don't think that holding women accountable is tearing <laughs> them down if anything i'm trying to be i think by i try to treat them with the level of seriousness that they deserve in hopes that the industry will become less hated on or you know treated in a certain way. Um, and I actually did the same thing. I did a call out to, you know, my very small audience and asked if there were people who they wanted to shout out for being good influencers or whatever. And um, I got a ton of responses and I reposted them and got a lot of nice messages. And, you know, I think there, there really are good people out there um, who are doing a good job. And I wish I'm trying to, you know, report, you can't only report on the bad parts of the industry. You have to report on the whole industry to have a say. And that's why it bothers me when a lot of these mainstream publications come out and they're like, the influencers are at it again. Don't you hate influencers? And it's like, well, you haven't been paying attention to this this whole year. So how could you possibly (laughs) (laughs) criticize? Yeah. And I I do think that sexism has a lot to do with it. I really do. What, what do you, well, what, what, Last thing on the um, 
specifically with COVID-19 related influence. Then I want to get to a couple other things. I, I You wrote an article about this and I've been obsessed with this this whole time. Like what came first, the pandemic or the tie-dye sweatsuit? Like how did everyone oh already have one? Everyone already had one, but they also, I didn't notice them before. And like six weeks ago, to me, tie-dye was like the official mascot of like a hard rock cafe clearance rack. Like it wasn't something I really wanted. But now I, but now I have now done it three times as a craft. Like, I don't even know what's come over me. Like how it's kind of a fascinating phenomenon. It's so funny because so I was seeing all this tie dye and then my sister-in-law is extremely fashionable. Like always has the latest and greatest thing. And I zoomed with her and she had one on and I was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? But she told me she bought it like a couple of months ago. So clearly they existed. So maybe like it was like one of those things where like, because I certainly hadn't seen before either. So maybe it was like one of those things where like people who are like really in the know had one um, and they just like brought them all out for quarantine. But I think like tie-dye was kind of becoming trendy again. And then I I don't know. I feel like everyone just bought them at once. I really have no idea. Like when you, I actually, actually started like, tracking how many people were wearing them it's like extremely insane how many people are wearing them when you track the instagram ads advertising all of my ads are for random ass quote-unquote boutiques selling tie-dye loungewear and then when you go to their url and you like look up the url registration they all registered like two weeks ago these aren't real companies they're just like you know, putting up pictures of bloggers and then they're going to make the product and ship it out in eight weeks. It's like, it's so funny. Oh yeah. The capitalization by fake storefronts is really wild. Wow. That's so interesting. It's like that and that. Yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. I guess attached with a way to combat boredom because it's like when Teddy material came in style that's one thing if that was happening right now i'd be like cool i want one but the fact is that the tie-dye is popular i can't get one but i can make one is kind of a funny thing that uh has helped out a lot of bored people like when i caught myself bleach tie-dyeing a t-shirt from a tiktok tutorial with toilet bleach i'm like what what am i doing (laughs) (laughs) and how perfect was it that like after Ariel's pig returned to Instagram, like one of the first things she did was tie dye. <laughs> yes, and she, she and to, she was tie dyeing to do some sort of charity work. It was kind of a funny tie in of like, but don't worry, it's not in vain. I'm doing yeah, this for good cause. I did not follow that at all. I didn't um, either. One of the funny things to me was I wrote about this in the article. Was I'm really curious about fashion in like say the spring and the summer because how my brain usually works is I see things on other people or online or on TV and I'm like oh I want that thing to wear and then I wear it right but like there's nowhere to wear anything and you're not seeing anyone so like I really haven't been buying anything because like I don't like what are the trends I don't know but yeah I haven't bought a tie-dye yet because I just like I don't know I just haven't but I feel like it's coming (laughs) it's coming uh no totally I think 
as you were talking, I was kind of like, well, maybe you you mentioned earlier that the teen aesthetic is kind of is chaotic and it's different from the pristine curation of the early 2010s and the the you know birth of Pinterest. Um, and I'd argue, I I think that TikTok is influencing culture in ways people don't realize, and all the people that reject TikTok don't even understand how influential it is. Oh, and yeah. um, I think that the what I love about TikTok and understanding more about Gen Z is, A, I hate when like older generations are like incorrectly rude to millennials and blame us for things we don't do. So I try not to do the same thing to Gen Z. And TikTok's made me understand them better. And one thing I really like about them is, you know, this the previous era we were in with younger people was this like baddie, like w- put on a full lash you know, you get filler in your teenage years, you have to do full glam before one static post. But these girls famous on TikTok, they're natural, they wear loose clothing, they show their, you know, it's a lot of long torsos, a lot of midriff, whatever, but it's, they're usually dressed in like sweatpants and loungewear in a way that like really wasn't happening in recent years that even, even loungewear was super tight, form fitting, you know, Lululemon style stuff. And um, like, even with following the hype house and stuff prior to the pandemic, yeah, the, the tie dye was there and the sweats were there. And I think it's maybe a trend that just permeated mainstream culture a little bit more when we wanted to be wearing comfortable stuff. I mean, that's 100% true. Like, Gen Z loves sweats. They'll wear like $500 sweatpants. Um, right. But, I mean, I think a lot of Gen Z culture is either you can see in or was perhaps influenced by the queen of Gen Z, Emma Chamberlain, who really perfected that um chaotic aesthetic like her whole vibe is like look at me I look silly I look you know I'm still beautiful but you know I'm posing weird I'm self-deprecating her videos are very like jump there's a lot of jump cuts there's a lot of voiceover um and I think like that is me I don't think that she like created the aesthetic in her generation but I think it's very emblematic of her generation where they are like much less polished, much less like, yeah, like Instagram baddie sort of thing. Um, I mean, she's also the original Visco girl, in my opinion. And I don't think she's on a lot of like older millennials radar and it wouldn't, they may not understand how famous she is. Yeah, I mean, she really like, I think her content is brilliant. Like I can like, I'm really not a YouTube person. I've had to watch, I'll consume a lot of YouTube for my job, but it is not my favorite platform by any means. And a lot of YouTubers, I just absolutely despise. Um, but I can genuinely sit and watch her content for a long time. And I think she is brilliant. I don't know how she came up with her aesthetic. <laughs> yeah, she wasn't like bullshit, no makeup, makeup. She like actually would roll out of bed and film. Um, mm-hmm. and people, yeah, she actually, she did relatability creatively. And I, I think she's brilliant too. The, I'm not super into YouTube outside of makeup gurus and I could not, like, I couldn't care less about the Paul brothers, et cetera. And people keep asking me like to talk about the vlog squad and I don't really care, but I can't help but notice that like David Dobrik is everywhere I am. And I still, I don't really oh, yeah. know why. He's like broken into the mainstream and that's like something interesting about youtube is a lot of youtubers have been able to break into the mainstream culture in a way that instagram influencers have not and there's a lot of arguments as to why one of the things i've heard and 
I'm, I wish I could remember where I read this argument because I thought it was brilliant and I don't remember why I read it. So I apologize to whoever wrote it. Um, but YouTube really fostered their talent and created this creator program and sent them their, those like statues for getting a certain number of views and subscribers and kind of bred them in a way where Instagram has been very hands off in their creator culture. Um, and so like a pe people like Lily Singh and David Dobrik and um, Grace and Mamrie and like all of these people have been able to like break into the mainstream consciousness for whatever reason. I think that's probably partly why um, YouTubers also tend to have more males. Right. I find interesting. Um, right. But I think like one of the breakthroughs for popular culture in taking internet celebrity seriously was the Logan Paul suicide forest thing. Um, so I don't know if that's had any, like, if that's like colored the coverage of anything. Yeah, I just shuddered even when you said that. I kind of forgot about that. That was awful. Yeah, he's horrible. I mean, he's horrible. I went to Jake and Tana's wedding and it was crazy. <laughs> oh, was that fake? I mean, they definitely didn't get married legally. But that's the thing. Like, I, I, it was like, it was all fake. Like, it was all so fake. Like, the venue was like a random restaurant in a strip mall. Like, it was just very weird. Like, it wasn't a real wedding. Um, yeah, it was, it was so weird. That's wild that you were there. Um, uh, question for you about an influencer that I, I have trouble. People ask me to talk about her constantly and I don't, I, I don't really care to deep dive into her because I feel like she deep dives about herself. And that is Caroline Calloway. I knew, um, I knew you were going to say that. I knew you. Were <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's like the big question of like, who is she? And I'm like, well, now a quick Google search will, you know, yield you millions of results. Like she, you can figure out who she is pretty easily now. Yeah. For me, I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts on her, but I guess before I share, like, what's your kind of general take on her? Caroline's a very interesting case. Um, I think that she has done a lot of things that she was very rightly called out for. I think that also a lot of the snark on her goes a little too far um I think okay so I think that she's made a lot of mistakes and I think she's owned up to said mistakes but I think that people lose the plot when they compare her to like Elizabeth Holmes or like Anna Delvey and this is a point that Caroline Calloway makes all the time and I, so I don't want to parrot what she says, but for, she basically went viral at exactly the wrong time where now she's lumped in with like yeah. the fire festival. I mean, it was all happening at the same time. Um, and Anna Delvey and stuff like that. And like, she didn't really do anything. Like she didn't do anything illegal. Like you can argue that her workshop is a scam. I personally, and I've written about this. I don't think that offering someone something even if you know I can offer someone a pen for two thousand dollars and I can say hey this is a pen do you want to pay two thousand dollars for it and like if someone pays me two thousand dollars for the pen 
that's not a scam. Like they're choosing to do, you know what I mean? And like right, right. the whole thing about her workshop is people said it was a scam, but she delivered what she said she was going to deliver. People just didn't think it was worth what she charged. And it kind of just became this like runaway train of people misunderstanding what exactly happened. And that I think was probably the fault of the mainstream media. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, I mean, she does, she has made other mistakes and there are other micro scandals that, um, you know, have happened that she's apologized for. And, you know, I think she's a complicated person. Um, I personally don't think she's a bad person. Um, but I hope the snarkers don't find me now and (laughs) come after me. (laughs) No, I actually think you're you make a really good point. And I've, I've seen her com- show how in like Google she populates next to Anna Delvey and Elizabeth Holmes and the like, and um, to, to call a $165 a head workshop where she technically did what she said she was going to do, whatever Mason jar delivery aside mm-hmm. to call that a one woman fire festival is, is, is pretty bizarre. And it was just kind of adopted as like, that's what it is. And um, if that's the case, there, there are countless social, like coaches, fitness people, like click funnel schemes all over the place where people charge a freaking fortune for webinars that are virtually like they're unhelpful that are just tricking people into thinking that this is their key to success. And all things considered hers is the wrong time where it, w- it was like so hot to be a scam artist and like people just wanted more of them I think no a hundred percent and I think that I I mean if you look on Instagram there are work quote-unquote workshops like that have happening every single day from different bloggers and like some of them and some of them actually don't deliver them I wrote about I can't even remember her name but I wrote about some Instagram girl last year who like promised some sort of seminar and never delivered on it, you know, like that kind of stuff like that to me, like that falls more into like a scammer situation. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I think, I think she got the short end on a stick in a lot of ways. Um, I'm not, you know, I try to be as objective as I possibly can when covering her. Um, and I think I've done a good job of doing that. Um, but I think that when people, I mean, some, I don't even remember, I don't remember the context for this, but there was some like office or something where they painted a mural of like famous scammers in like this very artistic way. And it was, it was like Billy McFarland, Anna Delvey. Um, Elizabeth Holmes and Caroline and she you know posted about it was like super pissed about it and I was like you know what like I think you have the right to be pissed about that because like they are all in jail or facing jail I mean they had actual scams I mean I do not think her workshop was a scam but I think there I know there's lots of other like I can hear you now like Caroline Calloway in our community. I know there's a lot of other things that have happened. I'm not defending her. I'm just saying on that specific point, I think that she got a lot of, she was 
made to be it was made to be a bigger issue than it actually was yeah and I think that isolated I think it's totally fair that that isolated incident was blown out of proportion I think her presence following that has been really confusing to me because at a like okay her her build up to the Natalie article for example my take on that was like I think Caroline is trying to manufacture her own cancellation so she can cry art when she develops and profits off of her response to said cancellation. And she was almost doing this meta thing where she was predicting and embracing it before it even happened to the point where when it happened, it actually wasn't as big of a story as the scam, the seminar. But the Natalie article was so uh, dynamic and deep and interesting and I drew a lot of parallels between her and Natalie's friendship and Anna Delvey and Rachel Williams' friendship, but that's separate. Um, I think there was yeah. a lot more there. Did you read her and, book? No, I didn't. Anna, or not Anna's, Rachel. Yeah, Rachel's, that's interesting. I've never thought it. about that. Yeah, um, is full of so many interesting layers, too. I mean, Again, people will argue this point, but as far as I was able to prove, she's never actually done SpawnCon. So, I oh, mean, that's interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. And, you know, another big point that she made when we were speaking is that people actually do pay her like $80 for her artwork. So, right. that's also very interesting. Um, but then, I mean, she's done things. I mean, she she just had to apologize today because she tweeted a cartoon that was, you know, super problematic. And so, you know, she definitely makes mistakes and has had scandals and I think, you know, has addressed the criticism around her. Um, so it, it, it's hard to I don't I don't know. I don't think you can label it as like. I don't know. I think the media also, like, there was something very gross about the whole, like, summer of scam thing that happened. Um, Obviously, you know, there was a lot of women scamming people for some reason at the same time. But there was almost this, like, obsession with these, like, female scammers that I just... It felt a little sexist to me not to harp on that again, but I think that's also why Caroline was lumped in was because she was an attractive woman, as was Anna, as was Elizabeth Holmes. And it just felt very gleeful almost to me. Like, look at all these female scammers posting tweets about her outfits and look at people like CEO work. And you're like, why isn't this guy being called a scammer? (laughs) <laughs> yeah oh my god that guy a hundred percent um the last person i would want to ask you about because i think it's kind of adjacent to this because i don't I love a lot of the messaging and i think a lot of the messaging aids in um mlm adjacent scams is rachel hollis mm-hmm. um i i have been pretty outspoken about her on this podcast because from the standpoint of like i, I don't know i tried to read her first book the ignorance about mental health, the the tough love from a place of unacknowledged privilege, the critic, the, the 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 weight shaming, the infantilizing women with like boss babe and girl, and even using the word like gangster, just like who are you? What is this? It, there's so many things that set me over the edge about the book itself. But she obviously has these like seminars, and I mean, these, she's amassed an empire, and it's kind of 
crazy. And a big thing she's uh, come under fire for is her basically plagiarizing quotes from other people. And it's one thing like, like earlier you were so apologetic. You're like, I, I read this somewhere, but I don't know where it was. I'm so sorry. It's funny because when you're talking in passing, I do that all the time. Like I talk for a living and I, I hear something I like, I'll remember it, but I can't remember the source. And I don't, you know what? It's like, you don't mean to do that, but it's a very different thing when you put it, you know, you have your graphic designer make this like home goods canvas style calligraphy print and then put your name underneath it and put it up as yours. It's kind of this next level. And this past weekend to fill everybody in, she, uh, I think it was tweeted, uh, the quote, still dot, 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 I rise, which is in, you know, a famous line from a Maya Angelou poem with no credit given to her. And it was obviously not, it wasn't, I don't think it was directly attributed to Rachel, but she tweeted it like without any credit. And it, you know, obviously yielded a lot of backlash. Um, And uh, it's like the style in which, she presents it makes it seem like it's credited to her, but she gets around it while she doesn't put like the little thing that's like Rachel Hall is underneath. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, yeah, no, I, pre- that's what I, I was like, actually, I don't remember if it said her name under, cause like in the past, a lot of things have actually been quotes from other people that she's put her name under, like um, ambition isn't a dirty word or mm-hmm. other people's opinion is none of your business. Like other people actually said those things in their published work that <laughs> were not her. And even though sometimes things become colloquialisms, you know, I still would be pretty careful not to put my name under them. It's very blatant, right? Because it's not like this is some obscure, um, you know, both those examples, I think that you're referring to, I mentioned in a post I did about her like a year or two ago. Um, and the thing about the quote, those quotes is it's really actually hard to find the exact origin of them because they're platitudes that have been repeated so often that like Mm -hmm. to it's like it's such an obvious thing that it's not something you came up with you know it's like me saying like I mean I guess like it's me saying still I rise is something that I wrote like everything happens for a reason Kate Kennedy like Stephanie Neal you know like like it's so obvious that she didn't write that. And actually the really funny thing that's kind of off topic, but I don't know. I think this is funny. Um, when I was doing that post was the first time I'd ever heard of Marianne Williamson because one of the quotes was attributed to her. And then like a couple of months later, she started running for president and I was like, what's happening? Oh, funny. Is that, is the quote, is the one she took from Marianne Williamson in your article? Yeah, it's like, it had been attributed to Marianne Williamson and I think some other male guru. Um, it's like, it's like, that's the thing though. It's like Marianne Williamson is Jim Rohn is Rachel Hollis. Like it's very like, you know, similar. These like gurus have been around for a really long time. It's just that Rachel Hollis, for whatever reason, has been able to harness the power of Instagram. And I think, targets certain demographics in a way that she's really been able to explode right and like I think what I'm always asking myself with Rachel Hollis like I think so much of her platform is problematic and speaking from such a narrow worldview that really only matches her exact situation 
but it's like, am I mad that she does these things or am I mad that she's amassed and maintained such, such an audience and such success despite doing these things? Like as a person who I want to contribute to the world, like with words and ideas and, and whatever, it's like, this is what people want. And I think there is a part of me that's like frustrated by her following as much as I am by her. Oh yeah. I think that's, I think that's like a hundred percent true. And I think, I think like for me, I think it's a lot of her, uh, she has very intertwined with MLMs and I've done a lot of reporting on MLMs and I think what really bothers me about MLMs in particular and that kind of mentality is the only reason you're not successful is because you don't try hard enough. And I think that's like inherently false, especially for low income women who are trying to make it in a world that makes it extremely difficult for them. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast, The Dream. Um, It's extremely good by Jane Marie. Um, And, you know, MLMs prey on women and basically like make them feel bad because they aren't succeeding and then sell them this dream of if you only put in enough effort, you can make it too. And that just makes me so sad. And like in my reporting, I did a big piece on LuLaRoe a few months ago. And I think that dream being like continuously crushed really like upsets me. And I think that's one of the things that really bothers me um, about that whole mentality of like, just try harder and you'll somehow succeed. It's like, well, for most people, it's not, it's not that simple, you know? Totally. I think there's a huge problem in general. Um, Like I'm somebody who ended up having to quit their job because I kind of accidentally started a business, but I kept my job until like, I absolutely couldn't work too anymore. And I, when I, when I started to get interviewed, it was being romanticized. It's like, you followed your passion. You left everything. And I was like, no, actually like I loved my corporate job. I miss my corporate job. I loved having a salary. And there's this like entrepreneurial porn of like, you know, if you love what you do, you'll never work another day in your life. And I'm like, yes and no. There's, it's so hard to find financial success and stability out on your own. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with a nine to five. There's absolutely nothing wrong with a, a job where you're working for somebody else. And you don't, in order to fulfill your dreams and passion and life's work, you don't need to be going off on your own and taking a huge amount of risk that puts you and your family, you know, potentially in trouble. And I think that like that whole mentality of preying on vulnerable women and telling them they're meant for more is so, so wrong. And I just, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I did it that I'm so excited. You told me that I didn't know you would uh, report out on LuLaRoe and stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's a very American problem too. I mean, I think Americans in general, like you say, like kind of fetishize entrepreneurial, the entrepreneurial spirit. And um, it's just very, I mean, I don't know, maybe the coronavirus is showing us, maybe will show us that it's not that simple for so many people. Um, I'm seeing a lot, like, I, I don't know, I feel like we're seeing a lot more support for small business and that kind of stuff than we have in a really long time. So maybe, yeah. you know, maybe the tide is turning. I don't know. 
I mean, I would hope so. But I mean, I would love to someday like try and figure out how Rachel turned herself from basically like any other mom blogger into what she is today. Um, I know a freelancer, Laura Turner did a post or like a really long story about Rachel Hollis and girl wash your face a couple of years ago. That was really, really good that if you haven't read, I highly recommend. Um, but yeah, it's like, why, why her? Why did she pivot into this guru? I don't really know. Um, oh, is that the one in the headline? It's like, it's a something with a dark message. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That was so good. And one of the first publications to ever call out her, like question her messaging. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was so, so good. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting, you know, like going back to like how we've followed so many of these people for so long, like it's been really fascinating following bloggers for like over a decade and kind of seeing what they've evolved into. It's like some of them became Rachel Parcell, you know, some of them became Rachel Hollis. Some of them completely got off the internet and like, I have no idea what they're doing now. Like like Nat the fat rat. What's her name? Yeah. Yeah. Natalie. Um, Hey, Natalie Jean. She left the, her husband to the church. I mean, like, everything she stood for and blogged about yeah yeah um but then you like see people like taza who really have been pushing the same content for 10 years and like yeah like she's evolved and gone to instagram and stuff but like really like her brand has stayed the same for so long and like i'm not saying that's a bad thing i'm just saying it's interesting um right I'm also kind of seeing recently a lot of people saying that they miss like the old school blogging model and how it's like not all just Instagram before like like it is now. Um, so I'm kind of wondering if that's going to come back. I know like newsletters, the new blog or whatever, but um, yeah, it's it's really 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 interesting. Um, it, it is, and I'm glad people like you are staying on top of it and are serving as a legitimate, well researched news source because, you know, I can chill, chill my opinions all the live long day, but I really I have trouble being fully objective with one foot in and one foot out. Um, and I kind of understand the plight of both. And it's been really helpful to hear your perspective. And um, I, I honestly have never talked to somebody who knows literally every one of these references. It's been such a joy. <laughs> I mean, same. it's like, it's so funny, because I, I feel like I have this like encyclopedic knowledge, but then I look on Instagram, and there's new people every day. And I'm like, Oh, my God, where did you come from? Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's rare. But that's what I think, like, I think more people need to talk about this stuff. Because I think there are a lot of people with like, who do know about all these people and like want to talk about it, but there's nowhere to talk about it except for like, you know, a few forums. So I think like you're doing a service too by like actually talking about it and like talking about these serious issues. Also, you know, I would love to just talk about the parcels for an hour and like, you know, just like very surface things like who has the best try ons, who has the best tie dye. But people, oh my gosh, yeah, that actually could be a full episode. But well, I'll tell you that like that 
that's a case where, so I did like a long series on Mormon. I call it like Mormon mommy blog empires because there's so much scandal or like so much intrigue, especially within the confines of people that identify as with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And she reached out to me to correct things, not that I said about her or her family, but about the church. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's a whole other topic, too. Like, why have Mormons really take, I mean, I would say less so now. I would say in early blogging days, there were a lot of Mormon bloggers. And I think now it's probably like, I don't know, it was like 30, 25% of the industry. Um but I tried to really thread the needle on that a few years ago. It was like when I was first, like it was like 2015. It was a long time ago. And I could never really nail down the answer to that question in a satisfactory way that would make a good story. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, that's a whole other, that's a whole other rabbit hole. <laughs> oh, it really is. Yeah. And, and there is no like particular like lever or like, way to statistically significantly be like, this is why this is what drives their success. It's kind of this weird alchemy of not a, not doctrine based, but a cultural uh, preference for like beautiful things and appearance and the importance of like cleanliness and appearing a certain way. And like, there's all these like tiny little things that kind of mold a person that's obsessed with their image and appearance and behave so well, especially in the absence of alcohol and the like that makes for a good blogger. But to your point, it's very hard to say definitively, this is why this works. Um, And in trying to do that on my podcast, I got not in trouble, but obviously a lot of members of the church were like, you know, I because I would get opinions from people being like, yeah, a lot of people tie their appearance to their salvation. I was like, well, that's interesting. And then, you know, of course, people like with any religion, any belief system, period, there's different interpretations of it. And it's so impossible to have an objective conversation about religion. Yeah, it was it was very tr- very tricky territory. Yeah, and I think that a lot of people think that there's like a definitive answer. Like I think people think if you just ask like if I just asked the Mormon church um like why are there so many bloggers? They're going to come out and be like actually we, you know, decree them to do so. And it's going to be like this big like reveal when actually that's not the case. You're so right. It's like, it's so many different factors. It's like a perfect storm that has worked really well and, you know, really like set the foundation for this entire industry. Um, but there's not one, like that's basically what my editors told me until I gave up the project. A good example of its subtle influence is like, so Rachel Parcell amidst quarantine bravely did a, a pantry tour um that is it's effectively a second kitchen it's a full-on it's the nicer than my first kitchen but it's her second offshoot kitchen and people were like she has so much food she's stockpiled all these tomatoes all this stuff blah blah blah. it's actually a part of the mormon like they are instructed to keep it minimum a three-month stock of food in the event of like a crisis so i yeah i I, like sifted through churchofjesuschrist.org and I did a Patreon episode being like, actually, this is very much what they're told to do. And it's kind of interesting when you can like you tie together those things. And it's like, well, it's actually not out of, out of gluttony. This is like a religious requirement for her. Um, yeah. yeah. And I there was like a lot of chatter about that. when Like all of the hoarding, like before the coronavirus, like really started truly happening, like before the quarantine. But when people were like going insane, buying toilet paper or whatever, um, I saw a lot of bloggers like getting heat for that. But then like people saying, yeah, it's like an LDS thing. 
Like she would never say that though. So it's like hard to sometimes identify like what's part of it and what's not. So yeah. Anyways, if your editor ever approves, people would eat that up, but it is hard. (laughs) It's it's not even them. It's like, trying to figure out exactly what I want to say and I'll be able to say it. You know how it is. No, totally. (laughs) For sure. Well, you are seriously awesome. Thank you for talking to me. I know people will love this. It's hard to find people that are well-versed in these topics and you're so you're so smart and well-spoken and, and well-researched on this. And it's been so wonderful. And I know you have, you have an Instagram and a Twitter that are super entertaining. And I think a newsletter as well with Tanya. So plug whatever you want where people can find you. Yeah. So my Instagram and Twitter are the same. It's Steph. So the first half of my first name, E McNeil, M-C-N-E-A-L. And then in both of them, I have a link to our newsletter where you can sign up. Um, it's all about influencer culture. And I write it with Tanya Chen, who's one of the reporters on my team. And it's called Please Like Me. And it's really fun. It's kind of, it's my passion project. So I really hope you guys check it out. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much again. And uh, this will come out tomorrow, actually. So you'll hear it pretty oh, soon. Wow. Um, and yeah, take care of yourself during the quarantine. Oh, you too. All right, guys, I'll let you go. I won't keep you on too much longer. I thank you so much to Stephanie. I thought that was really interesting. It was so much fun to talk to somebody who cares as much as I do. And uh, the hands down best, best thing you could do uh, if you liked this episode and like this podcast, given the times we're in, is share it, tell a friend, share it to your Instagram story and uh, rate and review patreon.com slash be there in five uh patreon is where i do bonus episodes and it's especially important right now uh it's behind a paywall but we i do different stuff to reward the people that uh, support me and one of those things is these powerpoint parties where you do every saturday where i have listeners come and present and i don't do the talking for once but i give you guys an opportunity to do many deep dives on topics that you feel passionate about Last week, it was the the ballad of Ben Affleck. We had a Larry Stylinson presentation. We had uh, Dolly Parton and Elvis Presley. We had a cauliflower presentation, the little no-carb substitute that could. Um, we had an awesome 90s and 2000s TV deep dive. And this week we have like I have I already filled up with um, presenters on Monday and I used to like have to be pulling teeth to get people to do it. I just like love the idea of having you guys be in my position more often. And I'm uh, doing bonus. Ep- I already recorded one with a listener, a bonus episode about Anna Delvey and like scamming. And I'm recording one about Mary Kate and Ashley this week with another listener. So I, I I am here. I want to tap into your expertise. I value your opinion. And I am so appreciative that you'd even want to record with me. So glad I had your attention. Hope I maintain it going forward and enjoy a little bit more of the stylings of one Tadra call. And please follow me on Instagram at be there in five. So that'd be cool too. hit the big five though. Anyway, nobody cares. All right, guys. Love you. As always, let me know your thoughts and I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. So I strutted up to the dance floor and I took off my earrings. I did a kick into a split and showed him what he was missing. Like, do I have your attention? 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 Do I have your attention?